monsters, madness, and It's my mercy alone that I cannot recount The memories fade and I weaken A glimpse of all things vile and cruel Haunting my dreams when I doze The spawn of stars, Cthulhu and Kin Invoked by a cult in their folly They call the ones who would trample and crawl upon Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-host, Henry. And this evening, we have a very talented individual with us, the Smith of the South, the Hammer, the eternal champion himself, Mr. Jason Tarpey. Jason, how the hell are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great and uh, ready to talk your ear off about some Lovecraft, some sword and sorcery, and get into some eternal champion eventually. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. So... I've already told you that we kind of share the same gateway to Lovecraft. You got to tell me how you stumbled across the unnameable back in the... Well, um, I think a lot of the things I'm into just came from browsing the, you know, the movie rental store, the VHS store when I was a kid. Uh, that's how I picked up everything I like now pretty much came from, you know, being a kid and, and going to like, uh, you know, the local... I lived in a small Texas town. We have the big chains, but we had you know, this little uh, rental spot called uh, Greyhound Video. And uh, I saw the cover of The Enablable with, uh, <laughs> with the yeah. face on it, with the lips, like, pulled back, you know, and the teeth. And the, I mean, it just it, it, one of the coolest things about that movie is the, the makeup, you know. It's, yeah. The creature effect is really awesome. And She's so, terrifying. Right. <laughs> and uh, I saw a bunch of those – well, so around the same time I had seen on the cover of movie boxes, HP Lovecraft's, you know, reanimator, HP Lovecraft's, the lurking fear, HP Lovecraft's, uh, uh, the unnameable. And so I just started picking those movies up. I didn't know who Lovecraft was. I thought he was a movie director <laughs> or something. I, I was 10 years old or something like that <clears throat> or nine, 10. Uh, anyway, I didn't even care. I just, I just watched the movies and I didn't even know who directed them. I still just probably assume that Lovecraft was the director. I just like the movie, and so I kind of I burned through those, uh, the unnameable, lurking fear, reanimator, um, from beyond, <clears throat> and so yeah, I loved the unnameable at the time. I know I watched it recently, and you know it's still a, it's a good popcorn movie, and it was entertaining, and I I really still liked it, but it wasn't as terrifying when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Right. It really got me when I was a kid for sure. Yeah, it's all the the constant screeching from the the goat. The goat. Hopefully. That's the scariest thing about the movie, and that's what really that's what really frightened me as a kid. I think was the the screeching noise. I've even still think that that is scary. Like I think sounds are real scary. You know right, they can yeah. be, and uh, and so even when I'm writing, I try to concentrate on the sounds things make, and you know, because that is like you know like a really undescribable high pitched unnameable. Just, shrills yeah unnameable <laughs> streak it just uh it would scare you know that would probably scare most people so it's kind of like the uh the thing for me uh 
when that you know i don't you've i'm sure you've seen john carpenter's thing but uh yeah I love man, when that, uh, oh yeah it's it's in the top three for me but you know when the first time the thing is assimilating the uh the huskies and it looks up and it lets out that screech right it's like yeah. you've never heard anything like that before it's just oh, uh yeah, yeah. that's always it on me too that specific scene and the all well all the the effects and the thing really imprinted on me too but yeah for one the sound design is just you know it uh, sends chills you know that always made me think that uh john carpenter would do uh he could have he definitely could have done it at the mouth of madness or at the mountain of madness man it's a shame that he never got around to, to uh, <laughs> he would have just uh killed that though he would have been you know amazing for it's really a shame that we don't live in a world where that happened one thing i wish that would happen in more Lovecraftian movies is adaptions are there needs to be more period pieces. You know, I love, have you seen the new color out of space with Nicholas Cage? Yeah. I love I those really movies. Good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I love it, but I just want someone to do this in the uh, 19th century or 20th century. Right. Right. I want to see a period piece Lovecraft movie and it hasn't been done in a while to feel like. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the good Lovecraft adaptations were made into contemporary movies you know and all of the ones that are period pieces or or when they're taking place back when lovecraft was writing none of those movies are well i don't want to disparage any of the people involved in those movies i mean it's just my opinion but uh i don't find them very good you know what i mean there's kind of like the the black and white ones and they're done digitally and it just doesn't you know uh i wish they were sorry go ahead no i interrupted you as you were saying Oh, I just was just saying that the uh, it just seems kind of um, trying too hard. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with such a low budget to go back and try to make it look like the 20s or 30s. It's just uh, if you can't do it, you know, Don't I do just it. would rather not. Yeah. Yeah. What were you saying? You know, that, uh, I was going to say that, uh, you know, I remember I, I watched this black and white. It was like a silent film version of Call of Cthulhu that came out probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. The whole entire time I sat there and, and thought to myself, I was like, you know, I understand you want to kind of capture that aesthetic of that time, but it's just, it just didn't, I, I don't know, it just didn't interest me as much as I think being able, a big no. production of that would have been more interesting to me than, than that. But I mean, I'm glad that they did it, but yeah. it just wasn't. That's the one that was on the top of my head too when I mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I, I, the cover looks interesting, and I like the idea, but it just didn't. No, but I, I had high hopes for it, but uh, yeah. Out of those Wait. old ones, I would say the the Vincent Price Haunted Palace is probably the mm. best one. That's the case that's of Travis really Nixon Award one. Yeah. I really like uh, the Dunwich Horror one with Dean oh, Stockwell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a really good one. That's actually probably one of my Forgot favorite. About that one. You know, it's a really close adaptation, too, of the story, that 1970s. Yeah, the cover was always iconic. I always remember seeing it in the movie stores. It's funny when you mention that because we had a little corner video store, and all I ever remember is is the box art for so many of those films. And the films, a lot of them probably weren't really that good, but man, that box art just sold you every time. Got me every time, man. Yeah, <laughs> still gets me. I still put in these movies that I've collected just for the box art, and I put them in. I'm like, God damn. I can't make it through the movie, but I still keep the movie because I love just having the box art on my shelf. You know? Like all the Deathstalker, keeping them. You know, they're not all good, but I love the box art. Oh, that was such a that was a weird period of time. Like all those Italian, um, 
barbarian films like the barbarian brothers or barbarian twins and they yeah. put out like 30 or 40 of them and i've seen so many of them and none of them are yeah. really particularly good but they're fun to watch so yep yeah they're fun um i wish there were more good ones but there's just not even though as a lover of the genre i want to like more than i admit that i do you know now <laughs> i can admit that i just most of those movies are trash but i mean there's a lot of classics uh, a lot of perfect movies in, in that genre as well so so when you discovered that lovecraft wasn't a director uh when did you what were some of the stories that you started consuming at first when i found out that lovecraft wasn't a movie director <laughs> uh well i was in a, a hardcore band before uh well, even before Iron Age, I was in hardcore bands. But when, when uh, right before Iron Age started, I was listening to this band called the Icemen. Uh, they're a New York hardcore band. I don't know if, well, you can't really just call them a New York hardcore band. They're kind of like heavy metal, but with like hardcore influences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the guitar player, I mean, there's like, you know, Randy Rhodes style riffing. It's just, uh, it's amazing. If you haven't heard it, uh, check it out. Because even if you don't like hardcore and you're just a, a purely a metal guy, or girl, whatever, uh, check it out. It's it, probably my favorite New York hardcore band. They never did an LP, but they just did, did this EP called Rest in Peace, and it had this song called uh, Shadow Out of Time. It's the best song on the on the record. And it's one of these songs, again, that just has the Jakey Lee like riffing or the Randy Rhodes style riffing. And um, I was wondering what the song was about because the lyrics were really cool, and they weren't like another hardcore song, especially like a New York hardcore song where everything's about getting in fights in the street or you know whatever and uh my friend matt uh davidson shout out to him because he knew what shadow out of time was and he was like oh this is a story by hp lovecraft and i was like the movie guy and he's like no idiot <laughs> writer and so uh i was like oh well i've got to read it and so i found shadow out of time man it just uh it hit me like nothing ever had i mean changed my whole life you know what i mean from then on i had I wasn't even a reader. I liked comic books, graphic novels here and there. I had read a few books I liked throughout my life, but I wasn't a reader. And once I found that, I was like, I read everything Lovecraft voraciously. Probably in those first two years where I discovered him, I had read everything, even most of his letters. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, Shadow Out of Time made a big impact on me, how it, um, it opens everything up to deep time. Uh, and in, in spans of time that are so long where there's just stuff could have existed that we have no um, way of knowing if it, it just turned to dust and disappeared. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and so I was like, oh, wow, what a cool idea. I just never considered it before. And, and you know, H.P. Lovecraft's cosmicism, I immediately related to it. You know, I was already kind of thinking that, you know, my metaphysics were leaning that way. Right. And, and so, uh, yeah, I, I just... I, it was Shadow Out of Time first, and it was from that that song by the Iceman. And everybody check that out. Uh, I've written that down. I'll definitely. I'm pretty much the same way. Pretty, uh, I found the unnameable and fell in love with the leather-bound books, and you know all the alchemical equipment Carter was going through. And here we are. <laughs> um, I'd say the statement of Randolph Carter and stuff like Beyond the Wall of Sleep are still some of my favorites today. And Beyond yeah. the Dream Cycle. Yeah, any I of the Dream Cycle. Yeah. Yeah, I love the dream cycle. A lot of people rag on it, but I really liked it. Um, that wasn't the first stuff I read. I think that was some of the last stuff I read because I had known about the dream cycle before I had read it because I, you know, I knew it was coming. I was kind of trying to read everything in order at least. And um, 
and so the, the stories that I read first were the big ones that opened up the big world. You know, the, the Cthulhu mythos cycle, uh, the Mountains of Madness was one I think I read it right after Shadow Out of Time. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I mean, those just, uh, they just opened up the universe so big and made, <laughs> and, and you know, made man so small that I was like, oh, that's just so, that's so cool. There's the whole world here for me to explore and write about and uh and that's what I started doing. At the time, I really also needed some writing material. Like I needed a, a focus, a direction. I had none, you know. Were you already writing fiction back then? No, it was just writing lyrics for bands, you know. Gotcha. And uh, up until that point, they were just like, uh, you know, based on life or whatever, you know. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I was getting tired of writing about that. I was reaching, you know, I was like, God, I hate writing lyrics at that point. You know, in the early 2000s, I was really having a, a hard go of it. And so when I found Lovecraft, it really changed everything for me. And that's why uh, some of the songs on Iron Age's Constant Struggle are starting to tell uh, a narrative. I was trying to start to write stories where you could follow it, you know, from start to finish and it would tell a story. So like right. Butcher's Bill, Butcher's Bill is an example of that. And then we, after that LP, we started doing some EPs. Uh, the first one was called Burden of Empire. And I, that was my first go at writing something really epic, you know. And then after that, we wrote The Way is Narrow and started writing songs for The Sleeping Eye. And The Sleeping Eye was like uh, my attempt at kind of creating my own, um, not exactly Lovecraftian, but uh, my own pantheon of kind of dark gods and stuff like that. That's what I was writing about on The Sleeping Eye. So in your own fiction, I I see a lot more. Obviously, there's a lot of Moorcock in there. Void uh, mm. Collar shares a lot of traits with Stormbringer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't in a mean good way. I'm not saying that like you know. My, uh, I I realized that as I was writing it, and I just went with it. So. I mean, yeah, that's a great thing. I'm not saying that in a in a negative way. <laughs> no, I yeah, I don't take it as an insult or anything. But it is funny because you know I noticed it's like ah, you know, I just try. I didn't try to. Uh, if it got too close, I tried to pull back. Yeah, we all do that. I mean, we're you're talking to two guys right here. I mean, Henry has two magazines that he runs. He runs a Sword and Sorcery and a, a Weird Fiction magazine. We all oh. we are in. Oh, that's awesome! I, I need to check that out. What, what is it called? Oh, uh, well the the uh, the Weird Horror uh, magazine is just called the Dark Corner, and then the uh, the other one's called Forgotten Legends. Uh, we're hoping to get the first one out in January. But uh, yeah, if you send your address. Um, Send your uh, address to us afterwards, and I'll ship you a copy of uh, our fourth issue of The Dark Corner. You can check it out. Thank you. I was just writing that down. Um, I appreciate that. I'd love to check that out. Awesome. Um, yeah, very cool. So at what I'm sorry, point did you ask a question right before that? Did I miss something? Yeah, I was just asking, like, at what point did, uh, did you start writing fiction? Oh, it just happened um, by chance. Um, I really was starting to enjoy writing lyrics. When, when I started Eternal Champion, I was – you know, actually enjoying it, which was a, a big change. <laughs> and um, Dave Ritzland, who runs the publishing company DMR, he met me at a, a festival in Chicago, and he was like, you know, do you write the lyrics for the band? I was like, yeah. He's like, I think you could maybe write some, you know, short fiction. And I'm putting together this uh, book of heavy metal musicians, you know, writing fantasy or sword and sorcery, dark fantasy. Um and I was like, I'll definitely give it a shot. You know, I've always kind of wanted to, but I've never written anything. I was uh, a bad a kid, a troubled kid. <laughs> I didn't uh, graduate high school. Um, I don't think I had more than a 10th grade English class under my belt. 
And so I was like, oh, this is just going to eat me alive. But I did it uh, right when I started it. I really enjoyed it. Just the first couple pages, I was like, oh, wow, I know this isn't good, <laughs> but I do like it. And uh, I turned it in anyway, just because I took it as a challenge. Um, you know, I didn't, even when he asked me, I was like, oh, I can write a not good story, but I'll be pretty it, it impressed if I could just get through the end of it and write one. And so I did. And uh, I don't love it, but um, it's a, like a wild tale. And so I'm, I'm happy that it's that it's kind of a crazy story. And uh, and so, yeah, that was the first time I had written anything. It was 2013. So it's, uh, it was it was enjoyable when uh, – so I had uh, pre-ordered a copy of uh, God Blade from um, Sword Worship. And I guess we – I got it – I think I got it a couple of days before the street date, I think. I think you guys were shipping them early, but I, I read through it pretty much the Thank first you. night and then um when uh ravening iron came out it was so it was so much fun to go back and like listen to some of the songs and then kind of compare it like to actually trace them back to to the novel and uh by the way thank you for uh re-recording uh war at the edge of the end because that was one of my favorite songs from i think it was your first demo wasn't it or second right. demo and yeah. uh it was just nice to see that song um make it on an official album and it sounds it sounds so great thank you uh yeah i really like that song too and i, I like the demo recording it has some charm to it you know what i mean it sounds uh just a, just kind of esoteric or uh yeah. weird but uh it needed a little beef you know a little beefier recording uh you know arthur wanted to speed it up a little bit change the riffs here and there and yeah we just uh we felt like it we needed to do it justice as well well, the essence of the demo is there because I, the first time I heard it, you know, it, it just it just poured off the poured out of the speakers, and I was like, "Oh yes, this is uh, this is exactly like the first time I heard the demo all those uh, years ago." You. So, yeah, we didn't try to change the uh, atmosphere of it or the vibe. We just tried to keep that the same and just give it a, a heavier recording. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't tell you how much reading your fiction has enhanced the albums even further for me because I was already a huge fan before reading The God Blade. And now cool. I got to I got to recommend reading the book to everyone if you've already listened to Internal Champion because it just amplifies it so much more that you only get access to the top half of the iceberg. So I'm just going to ask you, how deep does your lore go, like writer to writer here? Like, are you sitting on four thousand years of George Martin history? <laughs> um, no, no, and, and thank you for that, by the way. Um, no, it doesn't. It, well, it goes back very far. You know, like I was saying about the Lovecraft way of you know expressing deep time it does go back to the beginning of the cosmos and the creation of these gods <clears throat> and so war at the edge of the end is actually about the the god ferric in the god blade um it's about how he becomes a god the war at the edge of the end and um so that's kind of like the beginning of the theology i created I, I figured when i even when i was reading that writing that first short story vengeance of the insane god even though i didn't need to I started to think about the the metaphysics or the theology or um, whatever the universe needed to make it kind of believable. And, and so, yeah, that's what that, that song is about. It's not about anything that happens in the God Blade. It's just a little bit of uh, theodicy, even a little bit, and theology. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I was thinking about writing more stories that open up the, the time scale right. and talking about you know, the birth of these gods, where they came from, the over gods and the over law that's above the over gods. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so 
I have this note. I had to write this note down a part in the story. This is chapter 12, the storm. And this is when, uh, Rainin, if I'm mispronouncing it, forgive me. It's, it's actually Rannon. Rannon. Gotcha. This is when he's riding with the shattered shields and they're rowing against the demon winds. Now that moment is, that's the shit that I want in my sword and sorcery when I'm reading it. <laughs> like those moments, I'm just sitting there reading it and I'm just like, oh man, this guy knows what he's doing. How does well, that, how did that scene specifically come to you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I love that stuff too. It just kind of um, occurs to me to write it like that. Uh, I, I don't like downtime in, in my writing. You know what I mean? I, the only time I like it to not be action is if there's some dialogue <laughs> and so i'll take like dialogue breaks and right if there's dialogue i don't really want to uh hang around and talk about the setting too much i do want to give the reader you know something to form a picture but uh, uh other than that i'm in it for the blood and thunder too so you know i'm just imagining i'm getting excited when i'm writing it you know what i mean it feels so yeah. good when you get a, a piece written like that because you're excited too and you're like oh i really hope that people feel that and so it actually means a lot to me that you say that is i was wondering if people do get affected oh, by yeah. that as much as i do when i'm writing i don't know it's not an ego thing i don't even know how the thoughts happen you know appear in your brain you can't really take credit for it so it's you know when i'm writing they're just like it's happening in my head and I'm writing it down I'm like shit i mean you have an internal sense of what's pretty epic you know i mean based on what what you like to read and what you consume right you can sort of emulate it yeah that's really all i'm doing i mean i'm just kind of regurgitating my subconscious which has just been a couple you know decades now of consuming Robert E. Howard and, you know, H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft and, and Carl Edward Wagner and stuff like that. It's funny because I know on Ravening Iron, there's a, uh, in which I, I'm pretty 99% certain the whole song is just a retelling of, uh, you have Worm, uh, Worms of the Earth, in which is that famous Robert E. Howard story. And it was so, uh, it was great to read it and, and then look at the lyrics. And uh, was, that, was that a particular story to you that stuck out in his, uh, in, in all of his writings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that story. Um, I love the Brand McMoran stories. I love the picks. I love the way Robert E. Howard just, I mean, he created the picks. I mean, there are a, a real people, and uh, mm -hmm. but there's just not a lot known about them. They're a real mystery. And that's, you know, it's so intriguing. It's so cool. And, and Robert E. Howard had that kind of blank slate to work with. You know, he just had these mysterious pieces of, of the picks to work with, um, you know, writings from... Uh, the Roman legions at the time or the Roman historians that were trying to write it all down, hopefully accurately, probably not. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I already love the, the brand Mac Warren stories that the picks are so cool. That story is also really awesome because it's when him and Lovecraft are writing letters back and forth and he's taking Lovecraft's mythos and it, injecting it in there. And I thought that was so cool. And yeah, on, on a personal level, the, the, the links that brand Mac Morn goes to, to exact vengeance on the Romans uh, is something I relate to. I mean, just as a, a person that's been in fistfights, you know what I mean? I, at the time, I feel like I, I needed to do it, but you know, now uh, I just turned 40 and I really hope everyone's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Back in those days. And so, yeah, I mean, that story hit me. I was like, oh yeah, really? Yeah, I mean, it, and, and what brand wants to do at the end of the story is just go and fight more so it's not like i'm saying it's not about how violence is. i'm not saying it's bad or unnecessary sometimes i'm just saying that uh i get there i i understand the regret you know what i mean for, yeah. from going too far for sure and there's always consequence always yeah the uh 
it's almost blasphemous to say that I think my favorite uh, quote unquote Cthulhu mythos stories are Robert Howard's stories. Uh, like uh, uh, the thing on the roof, the horror from the mound, uh, did oh, me no grave. Uh, I love those. Uh, Robert the Black Stone. Yeah, the Black Stone's great. Yeah, uh, Valley of the Worm. Yeah, those are awesome. Specifically, I just something about did me no grave. I just like the idea of the whole their whole journey to the house. That whole scene where they're just walking up to the house that. Industry oh. sticks with me with the bat coming over the or the wing thing coming oh, right. over and flying to the house. Yeah, the wing thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, there's a uh, a Manila Road song called Dig Me No Grave and it's on uh, Courts of Chaos. It's like probably the best, the best song on Oh I have not. I'm very familiar with I don't know, I don't, just not the song. I actually it might be a, a cover. I don't know. I don't know. I have to look. Um but yeah, that's a that's a great story too. That whole Lovecraft circle just—it's uh, it, amazing how quickly they—they uh, they expanded on Lovecraft's mythology and just—I mean, even to this day, every once in a while, I pick up and like someone will say, like, "Oh, have you read uh, Clark Ashton Smith's?" Uh, and they'll name something. I was like, I wasn't even aware of that story. And there's so many of those those writers, like uh, was it? I always butcher his first first name, but Daredevil. Oh, oh, great stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. being all of those. There's so much material to to cover, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and a lot of, and I think finally you're starting to see a lot of those old uh, the old Arkham House presses. I think that some of the I don't know if some of them that material was stuck in like legal limbo or or whatnot, but you're finally getting seeing some of that stuff, some of the last vestiges of that stuff that hasn't been in print for years, finally right. making its way back there. Yeah, I'm glad for that too. I really like a lot of that Lovecraft circle stuff. I mean, some of it's better than others. I'm not really a fan of the August Derleth stuff. I mean, he kind of like takes Lovecraft's uh, mythos and, and puts a, like a like his Christian worldview on it, like good yeah, and evil. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's, it's, some of it's okay, you know, but some of it's just like, oh, uh, it's it's not even Lovecraftian <laughs> at this point. So, uh, but yeah, I really like I really like Brian Lumley's stuff um, that he did. He really like he put a little, you know, more sword and sorcery in there, you know. Um, and go ahead. Oh no, you were um, you had mentioned Carl Edward Wagner, and he's kind of one of the ones I feel like people. I mean, he's famous for. Um, uh, I think he was what Solomon Kane was that his character? Robert Howard Solomon Kane. Oh, uh, that yeah, that's Robert oh. e. Howard is Solomon Kane. Robert, e. yeah, I'm trying to remember Wagner's character. He had it's one, but uh, oh it's yeah, just, but uh, he wrote a he wrote a fascinating Lovecraft story called Sticks. Oh yeah, and that one was horror stories. That's really hard to find. Uh, yeah. I actually have a copy of Whispers and that old zine from I think it's from the 70s or 80s. I managed to track down a copy of that with uh, the original printing of uh, Sticks. But that's one of those Lovecraft stories that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even uh, I think True Detective kind of borrowed some some ideas for us, especially the stick figures and all of that too. So. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, might have. That's got a lot, a lot of whole a lot of uh, Ligotti in there. True Detective, yeah. and I love that. I'm a big Legato fan. I, I think I saw that he's working on another. Uh, he's working on another album with Current ninety three again. I think. Really, I, that's that's excellent news. That's great. <laughs> he um, he's kind of another one. I guess he was he took that idea of cosmic pessimism to the I mean the absolute extreme. I read some Legato stuff, and I have to kind of sit back afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's a. Uh, it's a downer for sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I, 
I can get through it. I mean, it's kind of my worldview anyways going into it. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a cosmic pessimist anyway. And so, uh, you know, I know it, it can really destabilize people, though, when they read that. It's very, um, very counterintuitive to people, his philosophy, for sure. I mean, he's... Uh, he wrote that. I think he actually wrote a, a book of philosophy on uh, on writing. That was mm. uh, I can't remember the off the top of my head. So much conspiracy of that stuff against the human race. Yes, yeah, the mm. conspiracy against the human race. That was really really eye opening to his process of writing and uh, yeah. and his worldview in general. Oh. It's like his philosophical kind of uh, treatise. You know what I mean? It's his, it's it's really his whole worldview right there in that book. That's what I kind of was hinting at. That book is kind of most people don't like it <laughs> they just don't like reading stuff about the horror of you know reality well, people are uh they don't um, i guess the average person doesn't want to think about those ideas they don't want to think about a cosmic no. indifference you know that that at any moment of time you could just be wiped out and no one's going to care and there's not going to be another force out there that's going to even remember you in the blink of eternity so but right I want to back yeah. up on a name you said, Henry Clark Ashton Smith. Speaking of uh, people that don't get enough credit, that's mm-hmm. one, that's one of my favorites. Just uh, riffing off his name, the Maze of Mild Web. Like Clark Ashton Smith, uh, his paragraphs are like portraits because he writes so beautifully. Like it's, yeah, his prose is probably the best out there. I love Clark Ashton Smith, and I even meant to do a song um, uh, based on the Isle of the Torturers for their, mm. for this new album, but we just didn't get around to it. And I, as I was writing my book, you know, I was like dedicating so many lyrics also to it that I didn't get around to. And it, it ended up being only one song that wasn't based on my own world. And so maybe next time we'll get around to that. But yeah, I love uh, Faults of Yovambis and uh, uh, Treader of Dust and uh, Chain of a Fornamon. Huge, huge fan. What was... And I don't know why tonight. I, it must be because I'm thinking I got work tomorrow. But uh, his um, his story about the necromancers was one of my favorites too. Oh right. Uh, um, I forgot the name of that. Is it also Isle of the Necromancers? I think that there is, is one. But there's right. one about there's one basically about these two necromancers that bring back a whole entire like dead civilization, and then slowly but surely, I guess vestiges of their of their past kind of start returning to them, and they overthrow the necromancers but it was just i don't know his he uh he could he he definitely was that shot i mean amongst all of those those members of that circle he was he was one that i just don't i don't understand why um a lot of his material just didn't get the same attention as lovecraft but it's so weird i think for most people his stories are like um either even more taken out of reality than Lovecraft you know what I mean they're just pure weird and dark fantasy and you know even leaning into horror sometimes and I think that's just why you know I think that the the fantasy that leans into horror the sword and sorcery or the the darker fantasy that kind of goes in that direction that's the stuff that um isn't the most popular you know what I mean yeah there's that that's the real niche that's the niche that I'm into I really like the the sword and, and horror, you know, rather than the sword and sorcery. Sorcery is okay, but um, yeah, I really like to make things as dark as I as I can. I'll probably continue to do that. Have you guys seen the movie uh, Headhunter? I have not. You know, I was talking to a buddy about that film the other day. Why that movie has not gotten? I mean, it it I mean, it did get a lot of attention, I guess, amongst the horror fans. But uh, my God, talk about one of the the best. Um, 
kind of best hidden gems of was it last year? I think did it come out in 2019, late 2019, yeah, it came out in, uh, 2018, or maybe oh, yeah, 20. early 2019. I'm not sure, but yeah, it was at least a year ago. I just and, remember seeing the the trailer of of him and Don in that armor going through that cave as he's holding the torch, and he's I think he's hunting down the uh, the monster, but. Um, Mm-hmm. The trailer does a good job of building, uh, of, of building enough lore to where you you want to see it. But it's a fan. Right. I mean, it's a great movie. I thought that movie was like uh, basically perfect. <laughs> it was so good, and I, I brought it up because we we're talking about Clark Ashton Smith. It's a, it's like such a weird movie, and it it's really like a sword and horror movie. And there's just so few of those, maybe even less that work. And so. Um, yeah, it kind of reminded me of like a Clark Ashton Smith story a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. just because there's like, it's so weird, you're instantly put in this setting. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, European-esque, you know, I guess there's a little bit of a Viking aesthetic a little bit, but it never really gives you any concrete lore or anything that you could, you know, it's not historical fiction like that. <clears throat> yeah, I just loved it. You know, there's only one character. Well, I guess there's two if you count his daughter, who's only in it for many seconds, but yeah. <laughs> Oh man, it's just uh, it's a great horror movie. I really recommend people watching it. And I, when I was researching it, I couldn't believe how much money it took to make it. It was like thirty grand or something they made it for, and it just Ooh. it looks great. Everything they oh, needed to do to make it cost that much made sense, you know. And they did it with uh, you know class, and it's great. Oh, and the the main actor, he's uh, just some of his facial expressions throughout the film are just like downright haunting, like haunting. Especially right. Yeah. He's not like a, a big. I think that's actually maybe his first movie. And he in what a thing to do for your first movie is carry the whole film with no dialogue, just facial expressions. Uh, you know. And, uh, and it, it does feel kind of like a. It feels like a, a Cormac McCartney meets Clark Aston Smith. It's just oh, so dark totally. and just yeah. nihilistic, and uh, right. I loved it. But uh, it definitely, yeah. I'm probably gonna have to rewatch that. Uh, sometime yeah. this week it's one of those uh, i watched it and raved about it for weeks and then yeah yeah i, I just rewatched it uh too after seeing it the when it first came out i loved it when it came out and i watched it again i caught you know a lot more the second time and i was even more impressed by it yeah sticking with the uh horror sword and horror that's probably why i lean towards uh clark ashton smith and robert howard so much because in your lovecraft horror stories that you're your protagonist is eventually going to go insane or flee from the terror. And then your Robert Howard Lovecraftian tale, he's probably going to go punch the thing in the face. You know? mm-hmm. And that's, yep, definitely, that's, kind of like that, that's definitely more my mentality. And that's what I want to see the characters do. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, I, I think I like uh, a, a couple of the Lovecraft circle writers because their protagonists kind of run toward it instead yeah. of just drop, you know, faint or uh, go insane, you know, because you really have to, you can't just keep doing that, you know. I mean, if the, if you're ever going to expand the mythos, you have to find a different character who doesn't, you know, flinch at it. He run, runs toward it. I think that's really a intriguing thing to do. You know, Love Lovecraft caught a lot of shit for going to that well once too often. You know, the unnameable, unknowable, can't describe it type deal. Mm-hmm. Something. It he, really works when he does it. Yeah. Oh yeah, when he does it, no one else can do it like him. Right. It's, it's really obvious when you try to do it and fail. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess um the the new album, Ravening Iron, sounds like a direct sequel to the, the first album. Was that intentional? Is that something you wanted to do? Um, not as a sequel intentionally, but it's probably a natural 
progression for sure. Right. I mean, <clears throat> there was like, we kind of found our strengths on the armor of iron. We were like, well, we need more of this, you know, maybe a little less of this. Um, and then also some stuff we haven't done yet. And so that's kind of how we looked at it. We knew we needed, uh, you know, I am the hammer is kind of a stompy, uh, a martial kind of rhythm. Mm -hmm. And we love that, you know, like that's our thing. And so we have a couple of those, you know, and, and then we put some of the, um, the melancholy feeling of, uh, like the, of the title track, Ravening Iron, the same kind of feeling that's in the armor of iron, that song and the uh, single last song of Valdez. So not everything is just, um, you know, that fully mid-tempo, you know, marching kind of rhythm the whole time. We've got to break it up a little bit. So, yeah, we'll probably continue to do that, you know. Can I just say that the uh, use of the uh, anvil in the very first song is, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but to think about Terminator when I first heard it, but... Um, Oh, you're kind it does of, sound you're like using, that now that you say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you're using the hammer to slowly build up, you know, to build up the beginning of the song. What is at a face in the clear? I think that was the first, yeah. Yeah, and, that's um, right. No, it's just, it's a, it's amazing. Is that the, uh, is that the same, uh, is that the same anvil you use for your blacksmithing? Yeah, I was uh, just working that day, um, and we needed those, those anvil sounds. <laughs> and Arthur was like, can I just sample them? And I was like, well, I'm working right now. I'm making this sword. I can just put my I'll just I literally did it on my phone <laughs> I just put it on my uh my workbench there and I was just forging uh this sword it was right when I could hit the blade really hard uh at the end I was forging out the end of it the tip and so um yeah those are just I just recorded them on my phone and sent them to him on a voice memo <laughs> he was like oh yeah these are perfect so <laughs> yeah that, that's what that was were you already going into blacksmithing before you uh found your interest in fiction and whatnot or did that kind of lead you to the anvil because everything's a bit more badass when you're a blacksmith yeah um no i i was already a blacksmith when i had when it occurred to me to write well after dave asked me and you know after i continued to want to uh, actually, I was in school when I first started doing that story, and I thought of the idea of the pyrefoil. I didn't know my character was going to be a blacksmith, but I liked the idea of the pyrefoil so much that I made him a blacksmith. And, you know, at the time, I was just so in love with blacksmithing. I didn't realize it was going to be so on the nose <laughs> with me. <laughs> like, I didn't realize of basically writing my... Um, yeah, I was in I was in class and I was asking my professor, my professor uh, William Boston, who's a master blacksmith. I was like, would this work? I mean, could you burn someone in a forge and use the carbon from their body to infuse it into the steel, and that carbon would be the thing that makes the steel hard? And he was like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you can't just throw the body in the fire and, and lay on top of the forge. And so I started thinking about the pyre forge, and that's why. I kind of used it to enrich my um, world building and, and character, and I could use the knowledge to um, put some practical stuff in the book. And so uh, the chapter in the Godblade where he's making the Godblade, um, that whole thing is just, uh, it, it's that in theory, that would work. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's like, it's kind of like magic that, uh, that makes sense. You know what I mean? So something... I guess uh, something sorcerous happens to the sword in, in this pyre forging process, but the process itself is similar to what we would call case hardening. And so that's when you would, uh, if you need to get carbon into iron um, and, and make it a, hard, a hardenable steel, you need to get that 
the carbon from the coal into the iron. And so what you would do is encase the, this, the low carbon steel or the iron or whatever you were working with, and you would get it really hot in this case. And, um, and the ingredients would, at a certain temperature, a very high temperature, would kind of seep into the steel. And the carbon would, um, on a molecular level, uh, mix in with the crystalline structure of the steel. And so I was like, well, that's a pretty cool idea. And, and so I didn't, I didn't uh, shy away from it just because I was a blacksmith. I was like, oh, this is a, a cool thing I could add to the lore. I made a note of that scene in the book too, as well. That's another note I have when I, I of course, I knew you were, knew you were a blacksmith already while I was reading it. And it just gave some legitimacy to that scene. It's like, man, this sounds practical. I know this is magic, but this sounds like it could actually work. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going for. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I've heard of people taking, uh, like, they'll, they'll cremate a loved one and then they can have their ashes. Um, I don't know what type of system they're using, but they're basically pressurizing the ash, I guess, on, under the hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of foot pounds, and they can actually turn them into a diamond. So, oh, right. So yeah, I, I, I've heard of that now, yeah. I, when I read that, when I read that scene in the book, I almost kind of thought about that process, just the idea of of, of just taking mm -hmm. like enough force and power to to literally transform the ashes into into something. And can I say the the name Void Caller is what a fantastic name for a sword. Like <laughs> that is the thing that is the thing in the book that I can't take credit for. That name is a. Uh... Sorry, I had to plug my phone in here. It's running out of battery, so I have to move around. Um, that name is a name that my friend came up with because I made him. Uh, and it, every time I make someone a sword, I ask that they name it before like, I deliver it to them. And I was like, what do you want to call it? And he was like, Void Caller. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's cool, man. Steal away. And uh, I was like, right away, I put it in. The God Blade is, says what the sword is. It's the God Blade, and it still needs a proper name. <clears throat> and so, yeah, Void Collar was like the, the perfect. I had been saving it, and I gave him credit. Uh, his name is Matt. He's in, I give him credit in the book. And, yeah. So you so you make you make swords, and I mean, so what what kind of things? Uh, I'd imagine that you're you have somebody come to you with an idea, and then you guys agree upon a price or 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 whatever. Um, so what, what has been the most unique thing you've been asked to build or to make or forge, I guess I should say, that would be the best, the, the appropriate term. The most unique sword or the most unique thing? Uh, thing. Um, thing. Well, no one's really asked me to make anything really strange. You know, mostly people want knives. Um, I do gates, you know, for people's like front gates, uh, front door grills, um, fireplace sets and fireplace grills and so the weirdest thing would probably be <laughs> because those get, okay. get really into the fantasy realm uh the last sword i made was actually uh an exact replica of the sword from beastmaster it, oh, it's nice. kind of a uh, do you remember that the way the sword looked it's kind of a, a hybrid of a, a japanese samurai sword and uh an arabian scimitar and so it's kind of it's got that curved you know tip yeah. you know that in that drop curve at the, at the top of the spine and uh and so, yeah, this guy is a huge fan of the movie Beastmaster, and so am I. I grew up watching that. I've probably seen it, like, at least a hundred. So I already knew what the sword looked like. I was like, oh, man, I'm so happy I get to make this. And uh, it took me, like, two months. I did. I took my time on it. I wasn't rushing, but uh, there were so many elements, the brass fitting, the walnut handle, and 
the blade shape had to be perfect. I made it the exact same length as the movie one. And so really, that was my crowning achievement so far. And probably the coolest thing I've done so far. So you've had an opportunity to play uh, one of my dream shows that I got to make it to one day, Keep It True. Uh, what was that like for you? It was cool. Um, it's kind of like, it, uh, it's like a legendary thing, you know, in true metal to play Keep It True. Um, and we played first, uh, like at noon, uh, on the second day. And we thought that no one was going to be in there. And when the curtains lifted, the whole hall was full. And so, um, we're like, holy shit, you know, everyone knew all the lyrics. And <laughs> during the first song, I was like, kind of already blown away. I think I forgot the lyrics for a second. I was like, holy shit, you know, a thousand people here. They already know all know the words. So that was really cool. Um, but you know, we're, I, we grew up playing like crossover thrash metal and you know in iron age it's like i'm really used to people like diving off the pa stacks you know what i mean and things yeah. getting really hairy and so playing a big stage like that there was like a 20 foot gap between us and the audience and i'm just being honest here you know i'm not ragging on us but i'm just saying because of my background that was a kind of a you know, thing i had to overcome you know i had to get down there and cross that barrier and, and yeah get in my comfort zone like right up close with people a couple times i had to do that because i felt weird being up there with that big barrier i mean i know it's something i've gotten used to since then but uh i don't enjoy it as much i'll tell you that yeah that's something that uh i know uh i appreciate about when you're a uh, bigger european bands tour in the u.s we get a much different experience uh than some right. of the fans at Vakken and whatnot like if sabaton comes over here we can we can get right up on the stage with them. You know, we're not, uh, there's not right. 50,000 people. I was going to stage dive at Sabaton when I last saw him, but I was like, oh, they'll probably, I'll probably get kicked out. But I don't trust Dude, I've seen Sabaton <laughs> five times. I fucking love Sabaton. I do too, man. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, they're fucking awesome, man. Yeah, me neither. I'll, I will wear those, uh, I'll get, I'll wear some aviators and a battle vest right now. <laughs> the look <laughs> is something I tell you, I had to get used to their, uh, their look, but yeah, uh, I love it. I love the songs. I love just like the production is so huge and just, yeah, it's not blown out, but it's almost there. You know, everything's yeah. like redlining. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 yeah. Goes, it's on that man of war line. <laughs> yeah, man. All men play on 10. <laughs> so Jason, going back to your, uh, to your new, your label and which is relatively nude sword worship. I know um, you guys put out the uh, EP between armor of ire and ravening. Um, ravening iron. What uh, what what's ahead for for the label? Um, I can't tell you because it's a secret right now. <laughs> we have something cool in the works. Um, I can tell you. What can I tell you about it? That it will be a team effort. I can tell you that it will involve okay. many people. Yeah, that's something that we're working on. It's kind of an ambitious project, but we're about to start it. We would have already started working on it and maybe even gotten closer to announcing it, but uh, our vinyl, um, well, so the Sword Worship vinyl press is now pushed back like six weeks, unfortunately, because one of the machines broke down. We're using an Austin, man, so I can just go pick them up when they're ready because they're, you know, an hour away. And, uh, and so now they're late, and so now we can't work on this next project because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. It'll be us sending off these records, <laughs> the Sword Worship Press, and so now they're all sold out. So right when they arrive, I have to mail off all of them. Once I mail off all of them, I will, uh, I'll put in the new press for the Revenue Iron Sword Worship, the second press, and then I'll, we'll also start working on this new um, Sword Worship project. We'll announce later. So 
I'm sure Henry and I are ready to go east uh, merc hunting. So when are we getting that? I'm sorry, what? We're ready, we're ready to go hunt merc east. What's going on with your next installment to the oh, story? Oh, merc hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to. I don't know if I'm going to write the merc hunt. I want to. I, it was, you know, like I, I definitely just wanted to have it as the ending because it, you know, it is a, it is a, it leaves it on a good note, you know, because you yeah. you got another adventure ready to get, of course. <clears throat> but I don't know if I'll write. I can't promise it. You know what I mean? It might be one of those things better just left alluded to, but who knows? Gotcha. Well, Henry, if you don't have anything else for Jason, I think we're going to be cutting him loose soon. Well, I guess the, uh, you know, the big thing I'm kind of curious about, uh, in which I always like to ask, uh, especially our, uh, music oriented interviews uh, so what what's been on your playlist jason what have you been listening to lately um well i could i guess i could say some new bands um that new black sword thunder attack ep that came out this year was something i've been waiting on for years it's really good it came out on uh, our label or there are label mates uh, on no remorse i think they have a few copies left so if you're into uh the warlord lordy and guard Lordy and Wind stuff. It's perfect. I love that new Hollis record. That's called Conundrum. Mm. Really, definitely one of the best of it. I really like that new Iron Sword album. Um, the new Mind Force uh, EPs that came out this year. One of them's called Swinging Swords, Chopping Lords, and it's called Reign of Terror. Oh, they're both awesome. They're a band from Hudson Valley up in New York, upstate New York. They're incredible. Kind of like uh, I was talking about before, how the Icemen are. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like a crossover of New York hardcore and heavy metal. They're not, you know, it's not thrash metal, which you would normally see hardcore bands, you know, crossing over into. It's actually classic heavy metal. It's really good. Nice. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the same old stuff I normally listen to. Manowar, uh, Solitude Eternus, Doomsword, Never oh, Doomsword, yes. Solitude Eternus. Oh, man. Uh, I loved it. I, they were the, actually, they were the guys that kind of got me into um i guess would you refer i guess were they stoner metal or uh, there's something i guess epic doom yeah i'm always kind of yeah. the the genres yeah. are always kind of uh, there's so many subgenres. it's hard for me to classify right. but i remember picking up is it bring the horizon or, oh beyond the crimson horizon beyond, that's my yeah. that's my favorite of their records one of my favorite records of all time it's a perfect I album i don't know i don't forget who put it out but it was like i remember buying the cd and the cd was actually gold i'd never seen anything like that before <laughs> but that's besides the point but i remember listening to that for the first time and i was like god these guys are fantastic and just kind of just delved straight into it and yeah. um one of the heaviest bands ever, one of the best vocalists, one of the best guitar players, John Perez. Uh, the singer Rob Lowe is incredible as Rain. Uh, I, I think love Rob Lowe Candlemas. They really are my favorite bands. I think that there's no other band that you can solve. Do you, uh, do you listen to any, uh, like, uh, I guess, black metal or anything like that? Um, if it's epic, I like some black metal. Uh, if it's just, like, uh, like, just nasty, like, noisy uh abrasive black metal that it's like not epic night don't like it uh, some of those bands i i do i'm like uh who did i see oh i like that that band taka t-a-a-k-e so oh, that's yeah. like an example of a black metal band that's not epic that i i really like i saw them live and it was really good yeah they um they had a little bit of controversy i think didn't they get labeled as uh and i don't get into all of that because i think nine tons out of ten it's but i think they got didn't they get slapped with like a neo-Nazi or, or yeah, something? Yeah, something happened their last tour. Oh, I, I don't just, know. I don't uh, really 
Probably, probably. <laughs> some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't get into that. Either. Yeah. No, I mean, I, mean, I don't either, good. but, it, but, um, yeah. I was, I'm, I think they were coming through, they were coming through and I wanted to see them and they ended up just stopping because of that. And I'm just like, ah, uh, yeah, they canceled the whole tour. Yeah. But I'm I, really the reason I separate the art from the artist there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, the only reason I brought that up is because I saw that apparently, uh, and I guess Bathory's kind of one of those big grandfathers of black metal, but I saw that they were releasing a new album. So I thought mm. that was kind of, if that was Bathory? Bathory? Yeah. How? Well, that'd be crazy. Oh. Are they using a medium? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can it be Bathory? It can't be, right? I mean, Porthon's yeah. dead. Porthon's been dead for a long time. Yeah, Bathory yeah. is, um, supposedly they've got a, let's see if I can. Maybe it's his dad. You yeah, know, maybe. Like black market records. <laughs> yeah, his dad owns everything, so it would have to be um maybe like a unreleased tracks or something. No, I mean that how they recycle so much of that stuff in terms of demos and everything else. I think it's. Did you it's know that Corthon yeah, made a made a um uh, grunge album? Oh right, yeah, I've heard that. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like Alice in Chains. Right, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I forgot what it's called right now. My friend sent it to me a couple of years ago. I never listened to it again, but I was like, wow. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, guys. I I'm sorry. I don't really like the black metal battery stuff. I'm really just into the epic. Hammerheart. Uh, Hammerheart and Bloodfire Death. And, yeah. You know, everything I after actually, that. Right? I had a brain fart. I don't know why I said battery. I meant Beharit is coming out with a new album. I don't, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, guys. It's, I'm like on three hours of sleep. So it's okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah, Beharit. That's, uh, I actually like them. Arthur... Uh, he puts them on sometimes. They have some fucking weird songs. Some of it's like industrial, right? Oh yeah, they, I mean yeah, they just yeah. they, a lot of those guys, especially like after their first two or three albums started, kind of kind of blending into other genres, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Arthur plays that sometimes uh, in the like in the van, and so uh, that's how I know them. But yeah, that that stuff's all right. But yeah, when it comes to black metal, I really like stuff like Caladan and Bruce. There's like oh. the mix of the clean, huge choral vocals and stuff. I love that. Jason, you ever heard of Arab Altor? Oh, yeah, yeah. That first album, uh, God, what's it called? I've got it over there, but I don't want to get up. Uh, yeah, but I yeah, think of the name it's of it. awesome. Yeah, I would say if you're a fan of Bathory, they probably do the best job. They do the best job at it. That first record, it's got like a snow on the cover. It's got a song yeah. called like Perennial yeah. or something. That's great, man. Well, Jason, I think we're going to let you get out of here after you just tell everybody where they can find the album and where they can keep up with Eternal Champions. Right now, you can find the album uh, at No Remorse. You're going to have to order it from them for the time being. I don't know when this is coming out, but chances are if it comes out anytime soon, we'll still be sold out. So <laughs> yeah. uh, You can look for the repress coming soon on our old sword worship. and We're going to be selling through our Bandcamp page. We're going to get that repress as soon as uh, you know, it might take a few more months. Uh, so, yeah, right now you can buy it from uh, from no, Remor no Remorse, or you can stream or download it from our bank, which we always do. Sweet. And uh, we thank you. Oh, you can, buy the, you can buy the Godblade for, for now. I don't have any more of them. You can buy it from DMR Books, or you can get it off of Amazon. Yes, definitely buy the Godblade. Do it right now. And tell Arthur, uh, uh, we'll be in, I'll be in contact with you. We can get in contact with Arthur and have him on, too. We'd love to talk to him. Oh, yeah, that'd be great, man. All right, we're going to let you out of here, man. We Thank you so much for your time, and I'll be in touch. Yeah, good talking to you guys. Have a good night. All right, bye-bye right, Take now. care, Jason. See ya.
monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs>